0: Welcome to Real Life Rescues, a podcast that's going to go behind the scenes and take an in depth look into the operational and personal accounts of EMS first responders from Israel's largest fully volunteer EMS provider, United Atzala.
1: Any volunteers available in Beit Shemesh across from the Noah Ayala trails? Any units available in Tveri
0: near the King area for an 11 year old boy holding to the water, possibly drowning? Medical 7 is in the water with the boat, backup units in the Hi, welcome to Real Life Rescues, a podcast that goes behind the scenes and takes an in-depth look into the operational and personal accounts of EMS first responders from Israel's largest fully volunteer EMS provider, United Etzala. I'm one of your hosts, Rafael Posh. And
1: I'm Dovey Meisel.
0: Today we're going to be talking about uh, bystander CPR 2.0. Now, this is the next generation of bystander CPR. And before we get into any of our stories, let's talk about
1: some facts. So, as all of us know, um, our biggest challenge uh, in a sudden cardiac arrest is obviously we're working against the clock. Yeah. We don't have time. It's quick intervention. The faster, the better. American Heart Association, um, over years of research, has, has has made it very, very clear that as soon as there is cardiac arrest, um, uh, what's important is defibrillation, and the faster, the better, because every minute that goes by, survival rate drops by ten percent. So as professionals out there, we all know that we're fighting against the clock and we need to get that patient as fast as possible. And that's why American Heart Association also changed the guidelines years ago, um, telling bystanders to do hands-only CPR in order to try and be as effective as possible, creating that basic circulation. All right. We got the compressions. Getting compressions done as quickly as possible
0: is, is generally the key, and that's why they've taken out a lot of the mouth-to-mouth procedures.
1: Yeah, uh, well, for many reasons, and especially now after two years of COVID, we get a better understanding. They did it in in, in great timing uh, before COVID, but but yeah, it's just to keep the flow and keep that circulation going, and at the same time find that nearest defibrillator and calling for help, of course. All right, and one of our
0: uh, one of the amazing things about our organization is that um, we supply almost. All of our volunteers, we're, we're getting there. We're getting to the point where most of our volunteers have defibrillators that they carry with them. So as soon as they can respond they apply the defibrillator and they get the defibrillation in and hopefully Wait, Raphael, the heart-
1: you're running ahead. You're by the volunteer. We're talking about the bystander still. That's true. We've got to wake it all the way back to the bystander. So, yeah. so 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 if we, if we look at society around us, we see more and more awareness to sudden cardiac arrest and the need of defibrillators, AED spread out for public access. And we can see them in airports. We can see them in, in public areas. The whole concept is to get that defibrillator as close as possible in airports. We we've seen them spread out in the many airports with no longer than 90 seconds to any point to any point in the airport. You have a defibrillator nearby, and okay. that's
0: and some cities have even started the idea of having public defibrillators uh, in place of telephone booths. Um, and yeah, place- brilliant
1: brilliant idea by the way. Here in Israel, um, what what happened was is now that phone booths are not in use anymore, so the uh, municipalities actually decided that instead of getting rid of them and off the street, they turned them into defibrillator stations.
0: That's right, and uh, not just in Israel. A number of countries in Europe have it as well. Um, they've started doing it, and uh, there's also uh, different companies that are starting to try and attach defibrillators to drones.
1: Oh, yeah, we're, we're all jealous and, and want to be part of that one. Yeah,
0: <laughs> because that's, I mean, again, it's getting the related there, but really well, the are talking
1: pers- about our past episode of, of a technology, that's true. Raphael. Come let's, on.
0: Let's not go too, back, too far back in the past. Um, but with a bystander, and that's, that's really where it's at, is the person who sees someone collapse, the person who makes the call uh, to, to 911 to, to get uh, help, they're the ones who can start right away with CPR.
1: Let's talk about that call. Do they call 911? The answer Not is, <laughs> in most cases, as you all know, they don't call 911. They'll call their neighbor, their mother, their daughter, or anyone else, and only the second call will go to 911 or the equivalent emergency service in that area. And, and that's one of the biggest challenges is education, getting people to know who to call. That's stage one. If we don't get the first responders out to the scene, they'll be pumping for hours. All
0: right. But let's, uh, let's go back up to the bystander. The person who makes the call— um, or the person who sees another person collapse. Um, how do we get them to initiate CPR? Because they can really be
1: the first first responder. So I say the first 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 responder. Um, I, I agree. So a few more firsts than that. There. Exactly. There's so the first. But you know what? I think I think that's so important to understand is that we're always talking about chain of survival, and we're talking about uh, the first responders, and we, we all look at reality and response times, and, and and we try to think how can we shorten that response time to zero from the sudden cardiac arrest, and in many cases witnessed cardiac arrest, especially in public areas, um, we want to chisel down on every second possible. And if we can get the public engaged enough, educated enough, and, and, and knowing what to do, and it's not complicated, then we can start that chain of survival immediately. We don't need to wait even the 90 seconds or three minutes until the United Hotel first responder from the community will show up. We can start immediately. All right. And that starting immediately involves uh, it involves
0: a little bit of preparation. We have to prepare the community to be ready for that. They have to be, uh, in essence, a sense of resiliency needs to come into the community. They can know, they can take the matters, uh, the situation, and they can deal with it themselves. In addition to calling for resources, uh, they'll be able to provide that initial response of your first, 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 first responder.
1: Good. <laughs> Catching on. <laughs> I, I totally agree. I, th- I think that, that it goes back to education. It goes back to education, awareness, and, and and breaking that barrier of fear. Because I think that one of the major factors when we're looking at, at um, bystander CPR is that fear. They see the person collapse, and they are afraid. They're afraid to approach the person. They're afraid to touch them. Um, and they're afraid to start compressions. even if, it, and, and, and not knowing what to do puts them in a situation that's even more difficult because they feel helpless. So now they're frightened and helpless.
0: All right, And we all know that that ends up leading to, uh, you know, emotional and perhaps even psychological trauma, which can come in later, which we try to avoid, which we might be talking about in, in a future episode soon. Um, but we want to alleviate that helplessness. And what you're saying was education is the key. And the more people educated know what to do and know how to respond uh, when an emergency occurs, the better. Uh, For the patient and for themselves, for the community, and for their later on mental health, knowing that they made a difference.
1: Precisely. Uh, And that's exactly what we're trying to do here. I mean, United Salah, we've spoken about this in previous episodes, is a community based emergency response organization. These are volunteers coming from the community with a good sense and feeling of responsibility for people around them. So, what we're doing is actually turning each one of them into a CPR ambassador. A a, a bystander CPR ambassador. And what they do actually is we have a huge program going around national here, which is going into the community through community centers, through social media and other hubs to get schools and synagogues. Exactly. Get the word out there. People, you need to learn CPR. Now, no, you don't need to become an EMT. You don't need to become a paramedic. It's very. Most
0: people don't have the time
1: for that. Let's face it. Exactly. Unfortunately, we found the time many years ago and we got hooked and stuck and we've been <laughs> 30 years stuck in this. But let's move on. Um, so, so yeah, so it's really getting out into the community, raising that awareness. And what we've done is we've initiated a, a few years ago a program of a, it's called Safe Family in a, a freestyle translation from Hebrew. Um, and, and the idea is very simple. It's providing basic skills of CPR and adult and pediatrics. And and babies, um, dealing with choking victim, and those emergencies that any person can find themselves suddenly in that situation, whether in the family um, scene or out on the street, and and part of the education part is is obviously learning hands only CPR, which is key, but before that is first of all making sure you know you're calling for help, um, and and within that course, what we try to do in that four hour session which we provide to the public for free and and thousands and thousands of people go through this training annually here in Israel, in community centers. And what we try to do is besides providing the knowledge and steps of what to actually do, we try to break that psychological barrier, that psychological barrier of fear, fear of touching the patient, fear of of what is what I'm doing good. Am I going to end up hurting them? And I think that, that within this training process, they get skills, and also we try to reduce that fear factor and get them to respond. Because the faster they start compressions, the faster they call for that defibrillator, and, of course, call the 911 or other emergency services, then uh, then that, that's the, the, the most basic way to get people engaged and saving lives. That's right. And that's really the
0: goal. The goal is to really take away that that fear, that hesitation of approaching and, and beginning uh, intervention uh, in order to help, and because uh, we're coming from the point of reference that that everybody wants to help. No one wants to be in the scene of an emergency and 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 be the person standing there frozen. Except those are the phones that immediately
1: pull them out and start the videos. I'm
0: not talking about them. I'm talking about people. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and um, but people want to help. People are, are good natured in, in in most cases. And and we we want to be there for the other person. We want to know what to do. So these four hour courses, which are going around and and they're they're open to the public and everyone can do it. Um, and, and they're proved, free. And they're free. Um, and you don't even uh, you don't even need to get the level of a community center. People can hold it in their homes often. That happens a lot as well. Uh, I just have a big enough living room, a backyard, whatever. Uh, and and trainer will bring a dummy and they'll work with a dummy, both uh, you know adult size dummy and, and and an infant size dummy, and we'll work on it. We'll work with them in training and enable them to really become empowered to go in and provide that initial care when it happens. And it it happens. It's effective.
1: And it's actually quite simple because it boils down to three steps. It's first of all, identifying the situation and calling for help. Then looking, calling for a defibrillator and starting compressions. And once they understand how to activate the defibrillator, how to perform compressions and how to call for help, it's really quite simple. And that's really empowering the community, and then it's a, it's in the circles. You know, it's friends bringing friends and bringing friends and spreading the word of, of, of CPR. And then obviously the first responders, the professional volunteers, as we call them, of the of the life-saving network of Atala, um will immediately arrive there within a minute and a half or two minutes or three minutes and start performing the professional uh, CPR by EMTs or paramedics or doctors, which will arrive as part of the professional team.
0: Correct. And the bystanders are even able to help them sometimes, meaning if there's only one responder who gets there quickly, then the bystander can keep working with them, working with the volunteer to... Keep doing the compressions. Keep doing the compressions while the volunteer puts together the AMBO, the airway, set everything up, maybe open an IV line, et cetera, Um, which in Israel we're allowed to do on the BLS level. Uh, You know, in other places, they're not necessarily. Um, And uh, they can work together as a team, and it turns it from a one-person CPR to a two-person CPR, and that can make a big difference as well.
1: And, and, and we're seeing endless examples of where this has actually proven itself right. Yes, not empiric data yet. We're working on that. It'll take uh, some uh, big, big, big research and, and funding for. But what we are seeing is a lot of case studies. And even myself, as a paramedic, I, uh, I don't know, maybe it was a year ago, I, I jumped out of my house at 6 a.m. Um, to a sudden cardiac arrest of a uh, 65-year-old uh, male. And I arrive in the house, maybe it was just a few houses away from me. It took me four or five minutes to get over there with my car. I run upstairs, walk in the house, and I see this uh, this young lady performing CPR on her father. Um, and, the, and the first thing she tells me is, I, I did your community course about three months ago. I say, fantastic, don't stop doing compressions. And it actually gave me that that extra minute to get my equipment organized hook up the AED um and 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 you know uh, prepare my uh, my meds and, and everything else for the uh, for the treatment but but we're seeing more and more of these cases where people are taking a proactive approach um and are are jumping into the water as we say start that bystander CPR except it's not Neutral bystander. They're getting the basics. They're getting the basics tools, and and they're knowing what to do. So even those who, when they call the nine one one system, we found if they don't even remember because of the stress levels during the the, the when they're calling to, the panic, to report yeah. the panic of reporting the sudden cardiac arrest while the dispatcher is instructing them over the phone how to perform CPR, they're understanding what the dispatcher is telling them. So when he's telling them to check for breathing, when he's telling them how to perform the CPR, where to position the hands, they understand what the dispatcher is talking about. And they're actually doing a much more effective CPR.
0: Right. Because they've already had the experience of doing it uh, on a dummy whenever they took the class. And that makes a big difference because the first time you're doing CPR can be very, very frightening, uh, especially if you're doing it properly properly. You do the compressions properly you end up you know most often breaking ribs that is a very very freaky feeling. I remember the first time I did it and it was it was freaky for me and I had a couple months of training so someone who's a bystander who's coming in and doing that would automatically hesitate and stop and say, oh I, I hurt the person I don't want to do that but that's not the case that's actually something needed to happen um, and they'll they'll be forewarned that that's probably going to happen and therefore they'll keep doing compressions appropriately as they should. Uh, You told a story about one that happened to you. I had one happen to me a couple weeks ago as well when I responded to a CPR case of a a heart attack. And uh, it was complete cardiac arrest, an older woman. Um, We got up to the house uh, when it took took me about three minutes to get there, Um, coming from a different neighborhood in the city, but made it on the ambicycle, thank God. And what I found was that the woman's uh, caregiver um, actually started CPR. She... Uh, was a foreign worker in Israel, and she had taken the course as well. We had a a few weeks, few months ago, we had a foreign workers course where all the foreign workers coming to Israel took a basic CPR course to learn Let's how explain to explain do... what
1: the foreign workers do. <laughs> okay, they're caretakers. They're caretakers, caretakers of for, uh, often the elderly or bedbound and 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 homebound elderly people.
0: Correct. Um, so they often come in and they're with the person one on one for extended time every day, um, and they're often checking on them uh taking care of their of their basic needs uh and this woman was was basically she'd taken the course as well uh together when she had started her her job and she had initiated c p r uh and that was terrific and then together with her and once another volunteer came, we moved the person uh out to the living room a little bit where we had more room for more people to work and we were able to continue going
1: yeah it's it's an additional pair of hands, and we all know how useful an additional pair of hands can be um in in, in while performing cpr and and i think we're seeing more and more proof of the success of this method just 2 weeks ago um uh, there was a a sudden cardiac arrest on a 35 year old it was at a 35 year old right next to a supermarket not no, it was far just from, now. from where i live um it made this story actually made it to the media because it was it was one of these you know we all know these uh these rescues that we that we live for and those are the ones that a young guy kids at home 35 sudden cardiac arrest, immediate identification by his wife. She immediately starts. Obviously, she calls the the she calls us, she calls emergency services, immediately starts compressions because the dispatcher tells her start compressions. Two volunteers, EMTs, with their defibrillators, with their AEDs, are shopping in the supermarket right next door. Literally next door. They don't even need to start their car. They run out to the parking lot, grab the AED and equipment, run upstairs. And start CPR. Connect the AED. One shock. Shock advised. Shock. Return of spontaneous circulation. Wow. And you know they're, they they want to continue CPR because you know we do shock and continue compressions. But immediately the guy started fighting them
0: because he, he woke up he and he like, what are you, what are you doing up? here? Why are you here? And, and
1: it was one of the funniest. Uh, actually, it was one of the funniest situations because when the ambulance arrived, I don't know, maybe ten minutes later, then they started an argument. Between the paramedic and EMT, sorry, the, the, it was not two EMTs, one paramedic, one EMT. Um, They started an argument with the ambulance team, which said, I don't believe you that it was cardiac cardiac arrest (laughs) on scene. (laughs) And they took him to the hospital, refusing to acknowledge that it was a cardiac arrest. Obviously, we downloaded the, the, the arrhythmia, the strip from the, from From the the AED and sent it to the cardiology department in the hospital so that uh so that they can actually see what what, what arrhythmia was and 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 the guy came to a volunteer meeting just the other night mm. literally 2 weeks after the cardiac arrest he came in and and had a lechaim a cheers with all with, with, the with all the volunteers that that saved his life and i mean those those are, are those really are the, stories, the, yeah. the stories that motivate us because we all know we all go through the the day in and day out with those uh patients um that uh, you know aren't are the most exciting calls if so right. to speak but these are the ones that really give us the energy and and it actually really proves this concept of the of the uh, bystander CPR 2.0 it's getting the bystanders to be more educated more experienced knowing what to do know how to act know how to call get the second layer of bystanders which is united hatsala which are not really bystanders are professional volunteers coming from the community in that professional layer so by the time the official um, uh, the official government Ambulance services in, yeah. will show up the patient in many cases is stabilized or in other cases already up on their feet literally and I think that really is where the revolution is in in in, in, in getting education and impl- implementation of CPR in the community and you don't need to be a super paramedic for it absolutely all basic. you need
0: to just basically start and that and it, it raises the level of survival like what you were saying before um, we also we had, a one in my neighborhood not so long ago where there was, uh, an infant who, uh, was, uh, at three o'clock in the morning, um, choked, uh, went to the point where we had to bring them back through CPR. And, uh, the first person to start CPR there was, was the infant's mother. Uh, the infant's mother had taken a course, knew what to do, started CPR, uh, screamed. So her neighbor... Came over and also started CPR. Our neighbor happened to be a doctor, um, who all called for emergency services. And within a minute, we had United All volunteers there helping out and continuing the level of care, passing it on. Eventually, when the ambulance showed up, they were they continued the situation, uh, and the infant is still alive. Thank
1: I man. think. I think that that really is a, a few key uh, key components for building a more resilient society. I mean, I, I think that the 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 fact that a community knows to take a proactive approach, um, educate themselves, know what to do, know how to respond. Well, obviously it saves lives, but beyond that, it builds a more resilient community. Because I think that the most challenging things, especially now, you know, as we're already almost two years into COVID, uh, we see helplessness is, is the 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 most challenging, is the most challenging component and knowing what to do. Um, and, and feeling that you can actually be meaningful and take part in the mission building a more resilient society in general
0: absolutely um none of that it it helps everybody helps the those who take the course it helps those uh, their neighbors their family members knowing that if something you know god forbid happens they have someone to turn to um, and it works levels people people who are already in the community and already providers of some service or another, often coaches, personal coaches, uh, yoga instructors, anyone dealing with some sort of uh, reference of teaching others where there's a little bit of a medical uh, element involved often has to go through CPR training. So they're also people are able to return to. And if they take the courses, then they get a lot of enrichment. They remember what they've learned already previously. And they're able to come in and provide that initial, uh, first 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 response. And
1: we're we'll look and, and we're looking at, at all of these components. We're looking at at a you know getting uh, public access AEDs. So many places you come to and say, do you have an AED? No. Their law requires that only in the place over 500 people. And blah blah blah, all kinds of regulatory issues. And 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 our argument, it's not even ours. It's the community's argument. Once they're educated, and they understand the importance. They will push that it's not about how many people are in the building, rather what is the distance from the AD. And what we're trying to get uh, implemented as, as, as strongly as possible is just like our goal is to get the 90-second response to any medical emergency, and especially cardiac arrests, um, we say that the goal is to get with a defibrillator to the patient within 90 seconds with our, uh, in, in total, running to the defibrillator, bringing it back, and hooking it up. And this way... Chiseling down an additional minutes, and the more people are educated, the more they understand. The more defibrillators are getting out there, and we're seeing the outcome. We're actually seeing the outcome all over the place in all communities where the awareness rises. We see more public access defibrillators, AEDs. We see more people um, uh, joining these courses and taking a proactive approach in in saving lives in the community. So.
0: Let's uh, let's let's talk to the audience a little bit here and ask about how can a system that's based on ambulances, that's based on, uh, I guess, the city or the municipality providing the services, how can they implement this idea of engaging the community to really create? this type of network of of bystander 2.0?
1: So I, I think it's actually quite simple. Um, it really doesn't require much. It requires uh, people getting, engaging people in the mission. I, I just came back recently from a conference abroad talking about the challenges of the medical system um, with burnout during COVID, et cetera. And everybody's talking about response times being affected and systems being overloaded um, and man, a shortage of manpower and things like that. And I keep saying, guys... There is an amazing component which exists everywhere, in Israel, in Europe, in the U.S., and everywhere else. It's people. Get people engaged. Get the official services to reach out to the community through opinion leaders, through other uh, uh, pushers and – how do you say? Pushers and movers. Um, I, I don't know how you say that. Movers exactly. and shakers. Movers and shakers in the community. <laughs> um, yeah, I was just translating from the Hebrew. the busybodies. People do. I, anyway. I, I, I always do translating in Hebrew. But yeah, the busybodies, <laughs> the people who are engaged in the community, get them in, involved. Get them basically trained with that most basically, and tell them how you go out there. Get people. Use social media. Use community centers. Use um, uh, uh, use the PTA groups. Use PTA groups. Use schools. Use um, uh, whatever it is. Um, uh, Religious based groups. Use uh, use the synagogues. Use the mosques. Use the churches. Get people involved. It's simple. Get enough people involved, and then you'll be cutting down on that response time. Mean, yes, the ambulance might still take ten minutes, but if you can get enough people involved in the church, in the in the in the temple, in the in the mosque, to start that CPR. Right there, then the outcome is will be significantly better. And especially once you train them, you educate them mostly to get AEDs there, and then you plug it into some sort of network of mapping out the AEDs. Use different apps that are existent out there in order to uh, to, to find out about a cardiac arrest that All is. Right, like the Good Sam app. Is, exactly. Is there's the Good Sam app. There's um a, um uh, Pulse Point. There there's so many other apps out there, social apps that can help. And mobilize people to respond to these emergencies.
0: And the amazing thing is, it doesn't have to just stay on that level. It can also go into the corporate level. Like uh, a, a company is a community in essence. And what this also helps alleviate, if, if we can, you know, train people inside a company, inside a big office building, um, then you alleviate one of the biggest. Uh, I guess, nightmares for first responders is responding to an emergency on, I don't know, the 80th floor, 90th floor of a high-rise, or it takes, forget about the response time of actually getting to the building, but then you also once have the, the vertical rig pulls response time. up,
1: Once the rig pulls up to the building, it'll still take them another seven, eight minutes just to get to the 67th floor at the end of the hall in the back Correct. of
0: the office. And, and you know, if it's a case of fire, then you also have a case where you can't use the elevators, you have to walk. Um so you if you if you create a, uh, an environment where you have the training people already know what's going on inside the building itself then you're also eliminating a lot of that vertical response time um by already starting compressions already getting the AED there already starting you know bystanders, CPR 2.0 uh in your office
1: get in your people workspace aware. get people aware get people on your floor in your office building to do a crash 2 hour course for CPR Find out where your AED is located. And
0: crash with CPR in the same sentence. We want to keep those separate. Crash course
1: of (laughs) CPR. But yeah, find out. Like you know, when we get on the plane, they say, look for those emergency exits. Notice they might be behind you. So get awareness. Get people aware of where the AED is, what the access is. It's very simple. It's simple steps, but once we get people more involved, more aware, we'll definitely be seeing better outcomes. And we're seeing them here. Right? And we hope that uh,
0: you guys have an opportunity to implement this and that you'll see those better outcomes in your communities as well. Um, That's all the time we have for this episode of uh, Real Life Rescues, Bystander CPR 2.0. I'm Rafael. And I'm Dovey. Save many lives out there. We're signing off until next time.